is a gospel according to John chapter 10. John 10. You're probably very fairly familiar with the chapter, I would imagine. This is where Jesus describes Himself as a good shepherd. That He knows His sheep. He calls His sheep by name. That there are predators out there. And that He throws Himself, lays down His life for His sheep to give for them. So then we come to verse 22. John 10.22, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I hope this day that you've heard already the Good Shepherd calling your name. And as He calls your name, follow Him. And He gives you eternal life. So let's turn then to Psalm 46. This is page 471 in that blue Bible, Psalm 46. This is written not by David, it's written, it says, by us, the sons of Korah, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, the song. Korah was just one of the bands within, one of the tribes or clans within the priestly tribe. And as you read Psalm 46, you may wonder what is the historical event that evoked Psalm 46. It doesn't tell us, but I think a favorite scene or a scene that would be very, very close was, if you remember, when Sennacherib, who was the king of the world's superpower of the day, of Assyria, comes to attack Jerusalem and sieges Jerusalem and Lachish. And there's Hezekiah the king and all the people inside of Jerusalem and they're stuck there. And what does Sennacherib do? He sends his messenger. And his messenger says, why are you people so stupid as to believe Hezekiah? And why are you so stupid to believe in his God? Because no God has been able to deliver their people or their city from me. I am the world's superpower. Something like that. It's a paraphrase. And that was him outside the walls saying that. And you know the rest of the story, I hope, if you were listening during Second Chronicles. And so this psalm fits that kind of context. And so Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. Not might be, not could be, not should be. God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. What is Selah? Nobody knows, but it's probably maybe a musical rest to give you a moment to pause and think about what you just heard. And then it moves to the third stanza, the second stanza. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. 
God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord, Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is God's personal name in the Hebrew, Yahweh. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of Yahweh, of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. What I read to you, my friends, from the Gospel according to John, and what I read to you in Psalm 46, it is the straightening out, stabilizing, steadying word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray. Almost loving Heavenly Father, who desires us to give thanks for all things and to fear nothing but You, and to cast all our care upon You who cares for us. Preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties and grant unto us, Lord, that no clouds of this mortal life would hide from us the light of Your mortal love which You have manifested unto us in Jesus Christ, Your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're visiting, there's worship notes or the worship outline or the sermon outline is on the back of the worship guide. You can see all the space there for you. There's three points. So in 2012, just 11 years ago, there was a marketing professor. There's a key for you. Marketing professor whose name was Jonah Berger. He did three very, very extensive studies where he examined 7,000 news articles, but he examined them to find out what it was in those articles that stimulated the most reactions from the receivers and readers of those news pieces. And what he found in his extensive study is that there are two high-octane, high-arousal emotions that work us up and get us to share all these stories, to act and react. And those two emotions are anger and anxiety. Anger and anxiety uh, inducing broadcasts and news pieces create from us the most action, create from us the most hand-wringing, and become the most contagious. That's how he puts it, contagious or viral. In other words, we share these articles and these news pieces like wildfire, the ones that stoke anger or anxiety. As Jonah Berger put it, quote, content that evokes more anxiety or anger is actually more, more viral, end of quotation. And so he published his findings in a, an advertiser's journal for advertisers and marketers. Now why would he publish that in a marketer's magazine, so to speak? Well, so that they would know how to fire you and me up, how to get our attention 
and how to motivate us to consume their product. Let that statement sink in. To play us so that we are quick to buy their product, whatever it is, that we're quick to move in response. That means, my friends, that many of our media, not all, Many of our political action committees, and what makes me angry is many of our Christian political action committees, I've received their phone calls a number of times, I know the game they're playing. Many of our favorite candidates, many of our advertisers, many even of our preachers and conference speakers and others, are playing on high arousal emotions to get us to vote, to get us to panic, to get us to purchase, to get us to get out in the streets and protest. And my friends, 2024 looks to be much of the same. But I want you to recognize that what God wants from us is for us to get our heads out of the dark pit of fear and fuming, of anger and anxiety. You say, Mike, how do you know that? Do you know what the most, the biggest commandment is, the one that's stated the most often in Scripture is, more than any other commandment? Do you know what the number one command is through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation? That's right, fear not. And why does God have to tell us fear not over and over and over and over and over and over again? Because we immediately fear everything. We're easily plagued. It's God tells you God wants us to get our heads out of the dark pit of fear and fuming. And this psalm, Psalm 46, ought to be one of the first places we go whenever the dark clouds of doom and gloom begin to brood over our souls. I love the way that Martin Luther put it, a 16th century reformer. We sang his song uh, that he wrote where he's meditating on Psalm 46, A Mighty Fortress. I love the way he put it when he said this. Quote, we sing this psalm to the praise of God for being with us. He miraculously preserves His Word and church against the gates of hell, against the rage of the devil, against the rebellious spirits, against the world, the flesh, and death. End of quote. We give thanks to Him because He preserves his word and church against the rages of all that opposes him. And so verse 1 is the whole psalm. Everything about the rest of the psalm is all echoing back to verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, a nearby and approachable help in trouble. That's the main point of the whole psalm. The rest of the psalm fills out the details of what verse 1 means. The sentiment is even echoed if you look down at verse 7 and 11. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So my friends, here is the declaration in case you get a little sleepy later or forget the rest of the sermon. No matter what else may follow, no matter what else may befall you, no matter how you may feel, God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. 
So I'm going to break this sermon down actually using those three statements that he's our refuge and then our strength and then our help. And that's going to be the three points. And so God is our refuge, verses 2 and 3 specifically. Notice how the writer does it. God is our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And then there are four of those statements to be emphatic here, to emphasize. And it's one specific scene he creates, he, he concocts here that he puts it in. Yeah, we won't even fear even though these things happen. And notice how he puts it. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains are moved to the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear then. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. That's pretty big. So notice how he's describing things, picturing things in verse 2 and 3. He's picturing it as a worldwide cataclysmic event. The other day I saw a trailer. I've never seen the movie, but it's one of those Gerard Butler movies. And I like Gerard Butler, so there you go. But it's a new one, or a newer one, called Greenland. Anybody seen the movie? Or Don't, don't answer. Okay. But it looks like the end of the world. Like all these meteors start coming down through the sky, and it just starts destroying the world and how humans, what they do in the midst of the catastrophe and how some of them gather together and actually pull together, and it looks like some of them actually are all about themselves. But it's that moment, it's that scene as all these these meteorite chunks start coming through the atmosphere and slamming to the earth. It's worse than uh, mutually assured destruction, for those of you who remember those days. And that's the kind of picture verse 2 and 3 is. Verse 2 and 3 show us two of the most stable things that you can imagine in the world. Lofty mountains, grandeur, and steady earth. All crushing and crashing and splashing and thrashing. Even the waters of the earth start rumbling. So verse 3, though it water, its waters roar and foam. I remember standing on the beach in Destin, Florida. I was there, but still in the Air Force. I was recruiting doctors, by the way, at this point. I was at a medical conference and had some time, so I went out to the beach, all nice white sand, beautiful. But I'm standing there, and I was awed and amazed at just this normal, roaring, rolling waves as they came. I could feel the waves. Anybody ever been someplace like that? You can feel the waves and then you hear them, right? And he's picturing this times a thousand. Like all of the ocean is rising up in terrifying, foaming water. And so the, water, the writer is describing the most globally impossible, earth-shattering event you can imagine as if it's actually happening and it begins with Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. Whatever is the most distressing, world-crushing event that caused you the deepest concerns? The sacred songwriter, the Spirit-inspired songwriter declares, Fear not, for God is our safety net. Fear not, God is our fortress wall. Fear not, God is our strength. Fear not. God is our exceedingly abundant help. And our Lord Jesus brings it even closer to home for us and makes it even the clearest. When I was reading to you from John 10, what does He say? 
I know my sheep. I call them by name. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them from my hands. Oh, and by the way, the Father who gave them to me is mightier than all, and no one can snatch them from His hands. My friends, our Lord Jesus signed, sealed, and delivered that promise in the incarnation, in His coming and birth, in His holy life, in His being in the Garden of Gethsemane where His heart, His soul was troubled that He perspired such great uh, drops of perspiration that looked like blood, where He was arrested and taken to a kangaroo court, where all of the religious powers and all the, the regal powers used all of their might and all of their, quote, justice, end of quote, to rail and fight and accuse Him. And He was laid on the cross and He was nailed to the cross and lifted up. And there He took all of the religious immorality and all the regal immorality upon Himself. And lo and behold, He took all of our sins, became the biggest sinner. All of us sinners. After being slaughtered on the cross, they lay Him in a grave for three days. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead. Body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair, never again subject to misery or mortality. And then He ascended into heaven where He sits at the Father's right hand where He is, not will be, not might be, not could be. He is now crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. He poured out His Holy Spirit upon His church that you and I would Always remember that we are not orphans. That we are His. We belong to Him. He belongs to us. And one day, as Peter was mentioning, as he stole my thunder, he didn't steal my thunder, but as he was mentioning, He will come again to judge the living and the dead. He signed, sealed, and delivered this promise for us. And it's a promise that flows out of Psalm 46. God is our refuge. But also God is our strength. Verses 4-7. through Very interesting that verse 4 is the background scenery to Revelation 21 and 22 where the new Jerusalem comes out of the heavens to the new heavens and new earth and there's the city of God and the gates are open and God is in the midst of her and out of her flows a river of life. And there are trees on both sides of the river, trees of life, the leaves are for the healings of the nations. Verse 4, especially is the background scenery of Revelation 21 and 22. And so you can say that this is and this is not about some future event. Verse 4 is and it is not about some future event. You say, well, how can that be? Listen, we're Presbyterians, we're a little weird. We talk about the already and the... Not yet, right? So there you go. This is a, an already not yet moment. This is about a future event and is not. It's also about present things. So you've got to keep in mind, and I appreciate what Peter had to say because it actually pulls this in. You have to keep in mind that the there and then, when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, and the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells is established, is shown, and all creation enters into the redemption of the children of God. You have to remember that the there and then has a lot to do with what happens in the here and now. 
But let me come at this a little different way. Notice that as the writer is writing, he's talking about the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now, most of us would think, well, that's the city of Jerusalem as we would think of it. And yes, in a sense it is, but that's not enough. It's bigger than that. It's the city of God. As Paul puts it in Galatians 4, that we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem who is the mother of us all. Or as you heard in Hebrews chapter 12, the new Jerusalem. Right? And then you get to Revelation, the same thing. This is talking about the church of Jesus Christ both as you see her visibly and as God sees her, which is invisible to us. Or the church militant, which is also going to be triumphant. Pulling those together. This is talking about the church of God, the city of the living God. So though the earth and earthly societies, notice, rail against her, they are the ones that are moved. The city of God is not. It's really interesting that in the Hebrew, the same word for moved is used three times. Let me give it to you very quickly. Verse 2, though the mountains be mot, M-O-T, moved, mot, into the heart of the sea. Creation will be moved. But notice then also in verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms mot, are moved, they totter. But what is the one unmovable entity here in Psalm 46? It's verse 5. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. My friends, all of creation will be, is being moved, and all the kingdoms and all the societies of the earth are moved. This is what I've been trying to say through 2023. It's a tumultuous world out there. It's a stormy world out there. It's a social tsunami out there. And yet the one place that is a place of security and safety is the city of God that shall not be moved. And why will she not be moved? It has nothing to do with who she is in the sense of as an organization. She'll not be moved. Why? Because, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God is in the midst of her. That's why she is not moved. God is in the midst of her. My friends, think of that. That is what we call the Emmanuel principle. It's stated again when you get to verse 7 and 11, Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Think back to Matthew chapter 1. When Jesus is conceived and, and, and Joseph is uh, the, the angel comes to Joseph, Joseph and says, you will call this child Jesus for he will save his people from his sins. And by the way, let me add to the assurance of this pledge from sacred scripture from Isaiah 7. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And at the end of Matthew, Jesus brings it up again because we don't listen very good. I didn't know if you knew that. But we don't listen very good. And so he says, after his resurrection, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority in the White House. All authority in the State House. All authority in your house. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, 
Come on, come on. I am with you. Oh, yes. There you go. Emmanuel. There's why the city of God is not shaken, because God is with us. And how do you know? You just celebrated it last Sunday. Emmanuel. God with us in the flesh. God with us in person. God with us. Somebody should get kind of Pentecostal there, maybe. And Jesus even says in Matthew 16, on this foundation that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That should rouse your hearts with peace. When everybody else is trying to play on you to rouse your anger and anxiety. And so the sacred psalm writer in Psalm 46 firmly announces, fear not, no fear. God is in our midst. And the voice he used at creation to create all things. Look down at verse the end of verse 6, the voice he used to create all things. The Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. The Lord said, let there be trees, there were trees. The Lord said, let there be bees, there were bees, and the beasts, and all that stuff. The voice he used as he created all things, he will use to disintegrate his foes and their world at some point. He utters his voice, the earth melts. And there you're reminded again, oh yes, the there and then. When Jesus returns, the judge, the living and the dead, the there and then has a lot to do with life now and here and now. As it breaks in occasionally, sometimes you see it. Where unexpectedly, God's people are rescued from the most impossible situation. Not always. Sometimes. And you remember. God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Sometimes it doesn't happen. But the psalm is reminding you, lift up your heads. Get your eyes off of the dark and the gloom in your newspapers, in your news feeds, in your news media. And behold your God, Jesus Christ, who promised you I know my sheep, I call them my name, I give them eternal life, they will never perish, no one can snatch them from my hands, and the Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hands. God is our strength. Lastly, verses 8-11, through 11, God is our help. Verses 8-11, through 11. notice how does God deliver His people? As it's pictured in verses 8-11, through 11, he, he makes His peace by overwhelming his and our enemies. That's the whole picture. I tried to emphasize that with the he has brought, he makes, he breaks, he turns. He brings his peace by overwhelming his and our enemies. He decimates the foe and all their war weapons. I mean, you could pile in anything in verses 8 and 9. Everything. You're afraid of AI? Put it in there. He makes AI malfunction. You want to type in there anything else? Just throw it in there. He can and he will one day make it crumble. He decimates the foe and all of the weapons. And we think, well, that's the Old Testament God. I'm just, uh, he's violent. Well, I want you to think about our Lord Jesus. 
There's a promise that our Lord Jesus gave us, and we like to hear it as a very fuzzy, syrupy promise, but it actually has Psalm 46 kind of lingering behind it. It's in John 16, right before our Lord was arrested and crucified. And our Lord said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Where are you going to have peace? In Jesus. In me you may have peace. And then Jesus goes on and he says, in the world you will have tribulations. Where are you going to have tribulations? In the world. And then Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And Psalm 46 is part of the overcoming. It's already begun. And it will be completed when he returns. I know my sheep, I call them my name, I give them eternal life, they will never perish. No one can snatch them from my hands. The Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from his hands. My friends, I don't know what it is about us. We love to be infatuated with evil, calamities, darkness, and the misuse of power. I don't know why we do that. And if you think I'm talking about somebody else, I know when I point my finger, there are three more pointing back. I know. Why are we so infatuated with evil and calamities and the disuse and, of, and misuse of power and darkness? We have such an obsession that we will scour the news for hours. We'll scour the libraries, the YouTube videos, the alt media, the podcasters. And we will do so to find out how strong evil is. Well, pastor, don't you know, to be forewarned is be forearmed. I know, I got it. We scour all of those things for hours to find out how powerful wickedness, wickedness is. We scour all those things for days on end to find out how mighty and all-dominating the conspiracy is. Whatever it is this year. In 62 years, the conspiracy has changed. I mean, that's how Christians have put it. It's like, if, you remember the beast? Anybody remember the beast? Anybody remember the Trilateral Commission and Council on Foreign Relations? Have you noticed how the conspiracy shifts all the time? And we will spend hours confirming that there's the grand conspiracy. Presently, it's George Soros or somebody. I don't know. It's always somebody different every time you turn around. We will spend all our time there. Because why? Because we're infatuated with evil. What's wrong with us? We've got Psalm 46. The Spirit-inspired psalmist says to us, stop that nonsense, y'all. It, it'll come when it comes. And it'll try to do what it tries to do. But you need to pull your head out of the dark pit and look up and look full into the face of God. Who will say one day, verse 10, who will say, every time you sing Psalm 46, all the world is being put on notice by this. But God Himself is speaking to all of those powers and potentialities that rail against Him. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. 
Psalm 46 calls upon us. The Spirit of God is calling upon you and me to pull our heads out of the dark pit and to look up and look full in the face of God. Recently, my Old Testament professor, Ralph Davis, who you know I love him, because I quote him all the time, but he just published a, a new installment on his commentary series on Psalms. and he, It was on Psalm 38 through 51, I think. Love the book. And as Ralph Davis was talking about Psalm 46, this is what he said. He wrote, quote, What we need to know is not how bad the assault will be, but only how adequate our resources are. End of quote. I think that's a great statement. What we need to know is not how bad the assault will be, but only how adequate our resources are. As Hezekiah was holed up inside of Jerusalem and all the people were on the wall and there was Sennacherib and all of his mighty power, it was very clear how big the assault was going to be. But they, they didn't obsess on it because Hezekiah went straight to the Lord. Lord, do you hear what they're saying? Do you hear what they're saying? His confidence was in the adequacy of our resources. God Himself. And that's where we need to be. That's what Psalm 46 is calling us to do. But unfortunately, most of us are very much like the disciples in the ship on the stormy sea. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. You remember the story, I'm sure. I've talked about it enough. I hope three of you at least remember the story. There's the stormy sea. There's the storm blowing up and they're the disciples, and what are they doing? They're, they're full of fuming and fear. They're, they're anxious as all get out. They're panicky as all get out. It's all doom and gloom. In fact, there's Jesus asleep in the bow of the ship, and they run to Jesus, and they sound just like you and me. Don't you care that we're perishing? And what does Jesus do? The God of Psalm 46 in the flesh, what does He do? He gets up, and he speaks. And what does he do? He speaks with his voice. He will melt the earth, Psalm 46. He speaks and he says, peace be still. I heard somebody say that. Good for you. Peace be still. And what happens? The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, and I would say he is still saying to you and me, it's okay. Why are you so afraid? <laughs> Have you still no faith? Yes, Lord, I have a problem with it. Now that you mention it. Let's just go ahead and say it. Say it. Why are you still afraid? Have you still no faith? Thankfully, it's the quality of our Savior that we count on. He still saved them in spite of the shallowness, the watery thinness of their faith. It's the quality of our Savior that we can count on, not the quality of our faith. Thank God. And so, dear friends, I call upon you to cast yourself into the care and into the embrace of Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. And as you glare into the uncertainty of 2024, whatever that uncertainty holds for you, whether it's the presidential elections coming up, whether it's wars and in, 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 
that are going on in Ethiopia and, Su and Sudan, and, or whether it's the war in Ukraine and Russia or where, what, whatever it is. Maybe it's that child coming that you didn't really want to have at this moment. Maybe it's to the economics. Your own financial setting is a little shaky. Whatever it is in the uncertainty of 2024, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The Lord of hosts is with us. How do I know that? Because we just celebrated Christmas. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we admit to you, we confess to you that we have soulmates that were in the ship with you who got sucked up into all of the circumstances blowing up into their face became over-dominated by the swirling cacophony around their ears of this tumultuous situation. We're just like that, Lord. And yet you're the one who rises up and says, peace be still. And you challenge us. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Lord, we confess that we believe and we don't believe. Lord, help us with our unbelief. Thank you for Psalm 46. Thank you for how that psalm carried Martin Luther, for example, through the fires and the storms he went through, and he dwelt upon it for days, days upon days and upon days, and finally wrote that wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Lord, may we have that same courage because of you. Oh God, thank you that you are our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, Lord, by your grace, we will not fear. In Jesus' name, amen.